I want to talk to you today about the priority. And uh, I am not talking to you about your priorities. I'm talking to you about the priority. The one thing that is the most important. I want to read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11. And I'm going to read just the uh, first three verses of that chapter. I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness. That's the scripture I'm reading. It's not me talking. Okay. I hope you'll put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. Um, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Interesting phrase, godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The one translation says that your minds would be led astray from the simplicity that is in Christ. The simplicity that is in Christ. Paul says that he was jealous over the people of God over the church, because he wanted to present them as a pure virgin to Christ. But there's all kinds of stuff going on in their lives. And he said what he feared was that, that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent, that their minds would be led astray from this simplicity that is in Christ. You know, the scripture does teach that God is a jealous God. Now, it says here, Paul says, I have a godly jealousy. There is such a thing as godly jealousy. Most of the jealousy that we are familiar with, most of the jealousy that we express in our lives is ungodly. Would you agree with me? Uh, we are jealous over the things people have or maybe their position or the things that they are able to do or to accomplish or whatever. But there is what is called a godly jealousy. Now, the best definition that I have found for the word jealousy is jealousy is a demand for exclusive affection. A demand for exclusive affection. And God himself is a jealous God. The Bible speaks very clearly about that. In fact, it says in, in the book of um, Exodus that his name is jealous. One of the names of God is jealous. Isn't that interesting? And the word jealous is very closely akin to zealous as well. So zealous and jealous are much the same thing. God is zealous for us. He has a passion for us, for his purpose to be fulfilled in our lives. And there is a demand for exclusive affection. God knows that we need to have our affection focused on him. And it's not because God is an egomaniac that, that he needs our praise. Don't ever think that God needs our praise. Don't ever think that God needs anything. God is quite complete in himself without us. Thank you very much. He really is. He doesn't need that, but he chooses to partner with us. And in that partnership, he knows that for our good, when he is our number one affection, when he is the priority of our lives, things will go well for us. It's always for our own good. Now, it's very interesting that the Apostle Paul 
um, is the one who shares this with us about this singleness of devotion to Christ. We know from the scriptures, from Galatians and from other passages of scripture, that Paul was a Pharisee. In fact, Paul called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. You remember that passage? He says, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, I was an outstanding Pharisee. The Pharisees were a group of people that arose uh, during the intertestamental period. Between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew was a 400-year period. It was a very, very dark season for Israel. Um, They had been um, conquered by their enemies. The Greek culture had swarmed in, and uh, they, were, they were just really, really persecuted. And during that persecution, groups of people began to arise. The Maccabeans, you've heard of them. They had a, a, a revolt against Rome and actually defeated some of the Roman and the Greek armies in that area. And they, and they had a, a, a period of relative peace. It didn't last very long because they were such a small nation and eventually they got stomped again. But it was during that time, one of the most difficult periods of Israel's history, that God raised up a very passionate, zealous group of people, and they called themselves the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they started out really well, and they called the people of God to be passionate for the law of God, to live in obedience to the law of God. They called them to trust in God and to to make Him first in their lives, to really recognize Him as the Lord of their nation. And this tremendously zealous group of people had a significant impact on Israel at that time. But over a period of time, that group became more inward and more focused on themselves. And they, they were still in their zeal. They wanted to protect what God had done. They wanted to make sure that this this kind of nice period of of, uh, Israel being obedient to God and to his word was preserved. They wanted to make sure that they honored the law of God. So what they did was to build a fence around the law. In other words, let's say this is the law, this pulpit was the law. They said we need to build a fence around the law to make sure that we don't violate the law. We'll, We'll put the standard, we'll make the standard even bigger than the law has. Now, if you know anything about the law, one of the reasons, if you study the the epistle to the Romans very carefully, you'll discover that one of the reasons for God giving the law was to show us that we can't live the law. You aware of that? You can't do it. I mean, how many of you could take the Old Testament law and live it? That's the point. All those centuries of the Old Testament law, God was trying to show them You can't do this on your own strength. You are going to need a new covenant where I am going to put my spirit in you, as Ezekiel said and Jeremiah said, and I'll cause you with my spirit in you to obey my laws. But the Pharisees, they thought that they could do it on their own eventually. And so they built this fence around the law of God. They identified actually... 613 laws in the Old Testament. Of course, they didn't have the New Testament, but they they identified 613 laws. And by the time Jesus came to this earth, by the time of the incarnation, the Pharisees had added literally thousands more laws. They started with 613. They ended up with thousands, and I'm not exaggerating when I say thousands of laws. 
For example, the Sabbath. The Bible said, rather simply, in the Old Testament, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. God said that in, in Exodus 20, and he said, six days you shall work, but on the seventh you will rest. Well, they took that Sabbath command to, to take that, that Sabbath rest, and they actually created 39 categories for what it meant to work. Okay, so 39, I'm, I'm not talking about 39 sub-laws. I'm talking about 39 categories of laws under one law, the Sabbath. And so literally when it came to obeying the Sabbath, there were literally several thousand commands attached just to the Sabbath. <laughs> you can imagine how complex the system was. And it came to the point where, where I mean, nobody could do this. And, and the Pharisees themselves, though, they thought they were doing quite a good job of it. And, and probably some of them were. Paul said, as touching the law, I was blameless. Because Paul, he, 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 he obeyed the fence around the law, so he never got to violating the law of God because he was working on the fence. But Paul learned later that that is self-righteousness, and that is the biggest affront to the character of God of any sin. Thinking that I can do it, thinking that I could live independent of him. Wasn't that the original temptation to Eve? Has not God, has God said that you shouldn't eat of the tree? The original temptation was do it on your own. You can handle this apart from God. That was the original temptation. And so Paul um, is a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, and it's amazing. And so when the, when the Pharisees accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the law, of not paying attention to the law of Moses. I want to tell you, Jesus never broke the law of Moses. If he did, he couldn't have been the perfect sacrifice. Jesus lived a life of perfection according to the law, but perhaps not a life of perfection according to the law of the Pharisees. And when they would get offended with him, why do your disciples do this? Why don't you tell them to do that? They accused Jesus and his disciples of being lawbreakers, Jesus wasn't a lawbreaker. He did break Pharisaical laws, but he did not break the law of Moses as God gave it because they, obviously he had to be the perfect sacrifice. And so here is Paul, who is quite familiar with the law and the additional laws of the Pharisees, the thousands. He was a scholar in the law, sat under the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest disciplers of the day, the greatest rabbis of the day. So he had the best of the best teaching him. But when Paul met Christ, things began to get less complicated. You see, religion always has more requirements than even God requires. Religion has a way of, of building these fences around the Word of God and adding certain things that you should do and that you shouldn't do. And when Paul came to Christ, all of these thousands of laws that he, he memorized and things he tried to do in his life were really, really simplified. I mean, it just got boiled down to very little. Jesus simplified things for Paul. And you know, the closer we get in relationship to Christ, the less complicated Christianity seems to be. I remember when I, when I first got saved, I was 15 years old, and I got saved in an Assembly of God church, and uh, it, was, 
it was wonderful. Just spent some time a couple weeks ago with, with the pastor who prayed with me to receive Christ. I want to have him come in and share some Sunday uh, when we get an opportunity, but just a, a wonderful connection with him. But the organization that we were involved with at the time was, was quite legalistic, shall we say. And so when I joined the church, I had to sign a card that said that I would not drink, that I would not smoke, that I would not go to dances and things like that. There were all these requirements that, that had to be met. There was a list of things. And I remember, you know, when, when we come to Christ, there's this zeal, and it's like this, Lord, we'll, I'll do anything for you. And so we think then that, that sacrificing things makes us more spiritual. And so we just begin to add what we call legalism to our lives. And then the worst thing of all is one thing to have convictions. And I'll, I'll respect anybody's convictions. I don't care how strict they are as long as they live by them. But, but what people generally do is they try to impose them on everybody else. Have you ever noticed that? Do you ever somebody approach you and say, you shouldn't be doing that. You're a Christian, you know. And so we become pharisaical snobs. We become religious people. And, but, but I've noticed that the closer I have gotten to Christ over the years, the simpler it is. Some of this stuff just falls off. I'm not, I'm not saying I have an easy life because I have challenges just like you do. But the gospel itself is simple. There's not all this complex rules and stuff to follow. And doing the rules doesn't make you righteous anyway. So, I mean, I gave up on that. But, but the Lord is just, the closer we get, the, the complexity seems to move away. And so Paul says, I'm concerned about you, Corinthians. You're getting into some of this stuff, and, and I'm, I'm actually jealous over you. And he's taking the, the stand here almost as a father. And he said, I want, to, I want to walk you down the aisle one day and present you to Christ as a pure virgin. I want you to have purity in your lives. But he said, I'm concerned because the same way the serpent deceived Eve, you are being led astray from what? From all of the laws that you should be following? No. You're being, letting, you're being led astray from the simplicity that is in Christ, or as it's translated, the singleness of devotion that is in Christ. That is so critical. In Matthew 6, Jesus said it this way in verses 22 and 23. The eye of the lamp is the body. And if your eyes are good... The, the eye, I'm sorry, the eye is the lamp of the body, okay? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's talking about the eye being good. And you'll remember it if you, if you might have memorized this verse as a youngster in Sunday school or something, in the King James, Jesus said, if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. Same word that Paul used in 2 Corinthians 11. Singleness of devotion to Christ. Jesus says, if your eye is single, if there's a single focus in your life, then your whole body will be full of light. So it's very critical where our focus is and what our priority is. And I want to say that Jesus, 
is really not interested in being one of your priorities. Jesus wants to be the priority. And I could stand and preach a sermon and say, you need to get your priorities right. No, you need to get your priority right. There is only one. I remember years ago talking about this verse, and I, I, I made some cards. Some of you may remember this. And, and they said, God, uh, family, work, church, hobbies, things like that. And I had some people come up. We had some steps here back in those days. And, and I handed those cards out to different ones, and I had them stand across the front, and I asked the congregation, let's put them in the right order. And so everybody, of course, puts God in first. So someone's standing over here holding a, a thing that said God. But then we started laying out the other ones in order and saying to the congregation, give us feedback. What should be next? And, and so while everyone agreed on God being the number one priority, there was some disagreement on what the other priorities should be. Some said, well, I think church should come before family, or some said, you know, I think work should come before church and whatever. There's a little bit of difference on that. And I remember making this point, solving the whole thing, and say, let's get rid of all the other ones and just have one, one priority, and that is the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Even in the Old Covenant, this one thing was exalted. Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, what kind of commandment? It, it says in the scripture, which commandment? But, the, but the, the proper translation is, what kind of commandment is the greatest in the law? Which are the greatest commandments? What category of commandments are the greatest in the law? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what flows out of that, he says, is, well, you love your neighbor as yourself. But you're going to love God first. That must be the number one priority of our lives. And so, Jesus calls us away from a list of priorities to a life in the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying it's a sin to have priorities. Well, this, you know, to sit down with a husband and wife saying, you know, this really has to come first here and, and so on. But, but really, there's really only one priority, and the priority is Christ. So we can be, by the serpent, we can be deceived and move away from the singleness of devotion that is found in him. Jesus calls us to life in the Spirit. And Jesus came to model how we live the Christian life. Jesus came to show us, to demonstrate to us what it looks like for a man because he did divest himself of his glory. He became a man. He humbled himself and became a man, subjected himself to temptation and everything else. But the thing that... Uh, was so incredible about him is that he showed us what it is to live a life led by the Spirit. And that's what he did. He said himself, and there are numerous verses to back this up, he said, I only do what the Father is doing. He was never pressured by things. And, and you know, we don't see Jesus uh, chewing his fingernails and being nervous and pacing around. He seemed to live the most relaxed life. Now, he was intense when he needed to be, casting out demons or rebuking a storm or whatever. But Jesus lived his life 
led by the Holy Spirit. He said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. He was never uh, manipulated by other people. There were people who wanted to put pressure on him, including his disciples who said, hey, uh, Lazarus is sick. We better get over there, you know. And he said, oh, Lazarus is just sleeping. And he knew very well Lazarus was going to die. And he, he didn't give in to the pressure to meet, even to meet a need that wasn't led by the Father. And so Jesus listens to the Father. The Father says, okay, it's time to go to Bethany. By the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead four days. No problem. The Father said, raising from the dead, you know. So he, he just exemplified life in the Spirit. And when we come to Christ, we come to faith in Christ with an intuitive response. There's, there's something in our hearts. Nobody gave, I hope nobody gave an altar call and told you you had to do A, B, C, D, E for the rest of your life and do all these things. No, you were invited to receive Christ as your Lord. And when you opened your heart and said, Jesus, I invite you, be Lord in my life, it changed you. But you responded from your spirit. The, only, the only way you come to Christ is if the Spirit draws you to Him. So your spirit responded to Christ. It wasn't an intellectual decision. It wasn't even an emotional decision, although there might have been emotion involved in it. We come to Christ as an intuitive thing where the Spirit draws us. But you know what we do so quickly? We slip out of that because the church tells us we have a list of do's and don'ts for you. We have things that you should be doing that you shouldn't be doing. You must never go here. You must never say that. You must talk like this. You must talk like that. And I'm not saying there aren't principles to live by because the Word of God is full of principles for life, how to live our life. But it's not our job to play Holy Spirit in somebody else's life and tell them how to live the Christian life. Just obey the Father. In Colossians 2 and verse 6, and I'll, I'll close with this verse. I love this verse. I memorized this many years ago. He says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, you should be walking in Christ the same way that you received him. How did you receive him? Intuitively, the Spirit of God drew me to him. And so my spirit came alive to him, and I accepted Christ in that way. It was, a, it was a step of faith. I listened to the voice of God, to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, and I said yes. And Paul says, that's the way you live. You live, you walk the same way you started, and that is to be a person who follows the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so, if we make a list of priorities, and it says God, uh, family, church, so on, we're never going to really know exactly what to do all the time, because there might be a specific time when God says, do this first, and it might be something down on the bottom of, of the list. You might say, well, uh, hobbies or relaxation or something like that. You know, you might wake up tomorrow morning, and the Holy Spirit might say, Take a day and do yard work. Or take a vacation. Just go away and don't do anything this week and rest. 
But if you say, I can't do that because my priority is this or my priority is that, listen to the Holy Spirit. That's the Christian life. Just listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. If we make him the one and only priority of our lives, then all the other things will fall in place. Sounds a little bit like Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And he's in that context. He's talking about how we worry about things, how we worry about what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, all that stuff. And Jesus says, no, seek first the kingdom of God. So let's get rid of the priorities thing, and let's learn to live our life focused on the priority, the Lord Jesus. Does that make sense to you? It's a wonderful way to live. It frees you of all the guilt and everything else because the priority one day, it's, you know, it's this or that, but now when when Jesus is the only priority, we can just listen to him, listen to, to the Holy Spirit and do what he has for us to do today. Um, so I'm, I'm, it's 12 o'clock and I'm feeling the spirit of nap coming on me and I think it's God. I think it's God. <laughs> I usually do that on Sunday afternoons. I think it's my Christian duty, but I'm not imposing it on you. I'm just saying that's how I act spiritual. I take a, I lie before the Lord. Or as Jim Hodges says, a horizontal apostle, right? He's, he's a horizontal apostle. Let's stand together. I want us to just to, to make a commitment of our hearts to this right now. And Father, we, we come to you today and we confess that we so easily fall into this thing called religion. And Lord, we make fun of the Pharisees, but yet we live like them so often. And we think that we can produce something by our own works or that we become more spiritual according to what we avoid or what we are involved in. And Lord, our Christian life began with simple faith in you, putting our trust in you, and your Holy Spirit drew us or we wouldn't be saved. We listened to the voice of the Father, and we said yes, and we repented of our sin, and we made a commitment to Jesus as our Lord. And as our Lord, you have the right to direct our lives. So I ask you to free us today, right now, of the pressure of trying to perform to please you. I ask you to release us of the pressures of priorities that we've placed upon ourselves or that others have placed upon us. Lord, we just refuse any of that anymore. And we choose to really live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You are the priority. And our family and our work and our hobbies and all that stuff, we submit to you, Lord Jesus. You are quite capable of speaking to us in any one of these areas. And we just want to be where you are, Holy Spirit. Wherever you're leading us, that's where we want to be. So we choose to live a life led by the Spirit. 
We repent of Phariseeism, of religion that adds to the simplicity, the singleness of devotion to Christ. And we choose to walk in that simplicity today. We honor you. We bless you. And we want our lives to honor you, Lord Jesus. So we give them to you again. You are my priority. Can we say that together? You are my priority. One more time. You are my priority. Thank you for sealing that in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.